Hold your fire, hold your fire. Ready, get a good sight picture. Take your time, steady. Hey everybody, Ryan from the Breaking Bad show here. I am outside, I got the boys outside with me and we are enjoying a beautiful first day of spring here in Massachusetts. I am excited for the warm weather to be coming our way so we can spend more time outside. One thing I always try and teach my boys is to have the mindset of never giving up and refusing to give up. No matter what challenges we face, no matter what is going on, to always take that next step forward every day. Never give up on our goals and dreams and chasing them and doing what we gotta do to accomplish them. Chad and I had the honor to interview an amazing guest on our show this week. And he has an incredible story of perseverance and refusing to give up. A lot of the things that happened in our guest's life are horrific enough and bad enough that they would break most men. Our guest never broke. He faced every challenge that ever came his way. And through that, he has built himself into the person that he is today. I hope everyone hangs out and listens to the awesome story that our guest Chip Hencher has today. And Chad, Chip, and I just want everyone to know that if you're listening to this, and you know someone or you yourself are struggling with some sort some form of substance abuse which drugs alcohol or some sort of mental health challenge please reach out you can reach out to any one of us at any time or reach out and talk to someone in your trusted sphere and get the help you can so you can start to change your life i hope you all hang out and enjoy the show it's going to be awesome this is the breaking bad show Everybody, welcome back to the Breaking Bad show. I'm Ryan. Hey, everybody. I'm Chad. And today we're excited to bring to you our guest of the week. And our guest today, he did 20 years in the United States Marine Corps, serving time overseas and serving as a military police officer as well. Um, he's now become a successful leader in the private sector since his time in the United States Marines. He's also an author. He's written a book called Signal Hill Warrior, A Boy from Prussia. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Chip Hemcher. Welcome to the show, Chip. Yeah, thanks, um, Ryan and Chad. It's, it's good to be here. I know we've talked a couple times this week, and it seems like we definitely have a lot in common. Um, so, yeah, just uh, to give you a quick rundown of my story, I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia. It's called King of Prussia, and Chad and I were just talking about that because it's a, it's a very awkward name, but it was a, it's a very kind of cookie-cutter suburb. It was the 80s. Kids could walk the streets. You're playing stickball, and uh, my parents were, were essentially blue-collar, lower-middle class, so everything was good, and that was probably like the last memory I had of like pure happiness. And the book is about my, my journey essentially from there. 
and then going through my dad and mom started battling, uh, you know, I'm, I'm calling the cops on my dad, uh, a little bit somewhere in the mix there. I was sexually abused by a friend of my father's. Uh, then my parents get, we get separated. My twin sister and I leave with my mom. We were very poor. We didn't have a lot. Uh, I talk about in the book, how I, I worked at a gas, a gas station and people pull up and ask you fill it with 94 ultra. I'd fill it with 86 economy and keep the, the couple bucks. I mean, I'm telling you guys that and I'm a former cop and it's like, oh my gosh. Um, and then I had a bike accident in 1991 before I graduated high school. And that's where I got all these lovely scars. Uh, had my last rights read to me. Um, anyway, and my mom was just going through all these bad. So I had a really rough childhood. And then it, it kind of came to a head wave when my dad, a former Marine, uh, was, hey, you know, you won't make it in the Marine Corps. And it was this dare, which set into motion 20 years in the Marine Corps, uh, 10 as an enlisted Marine and 10 as an officer. Um, and then the path from there is basically in my opinion, just still littered with challenges. Um, I don't want to say hardships. I, I, I guess I, I like challenges better because I, they were challenges and I had to overcome them. Um, you know, I applied to the officer program. <laughs> I don't like to tell a lot of people this, but I applied five times. <laughs> like I, they, I guess they finally got tired. Like, okay, just let the guy in. Um, and then as soon as I get to the officer program, I'm going to college. I got diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I'm going through almost a year of chemotherapy and radiation. Um, I was told I was getting kicked out of the Marines. And again, I'm in this battle, you know, battle to survive and battle of the mind. Um, and then I think it was about 18 months later, I'm leading a platoon in Iraq of 115 Marines. Um, in Al-Ambar province, we were IED'd several times, car bombed several times. And come back, my marriage fell apart. Uh, I was divorced. Both of my parents died a couple of years after I got back with, you know, died from cancer. And then basically long story to kind of close it up, I retired from the Marine Corps and that's where alcohol took over really heavily anyway. I mean, the Marine Corps, I don't want to, I love the Marine Corps, but the military in general is a drinking culture. And I'd always had that since I was 18, but it was kind of a really natural progression from retiring and just hitting the booze. I mean, I could, I could down a half bottle, um, in a night and, you know, I was having nightmares and just the myriad of nightmares, um, from all kinds of trauma that I had been through. And the VA shrink just said, Mr. Hampshire, have you ever thought if you quit drinking, all this would like essentially go away? And in true Marine Corps stubborn fashion, I quit drinking the next day or immediately, essentially went cold Turkey, went into withdrawals. Uh, I was actually at the pharmacy getting the medicine to help me with the withdrawals. And I see my boss and I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be at work tomorrow. And he's like, oh, no problem, you know, because I work for a really like good company and I, I sweated it out. And the whole point here is I went through all of this hard stuff. And I never realized that alcohol was making it 10 times harder for me. And especially the transition. And, and Chad, I'd heard you talk about that in a previous podcast. It is really tough when you go from active duty, Marine soldier, sailor, airman to just like you, you get let out. <laughs> you know, you let out of the zoo and you're just like, huh? And I had all these experiences piled on 
top of combat abuse and a pretty rough childhood. Um, and I guess the reason I just sat down and just started writing a book and I said, maybe this will help somebody someday. Cause I think I got just about every category covered of like stuff that I had been through. And I said, you know what, man, if somebody can benefit, if a, if a veteran picks this up and quit, and it actually happened, uh, a really great friend of mine read my book and he quit drinking after 20 some years. And you know what, if that, that, that made it worth it. You know, and I had Marines that I was in charge of and served with and served alongside reach out and say, you know, hey, I read your book like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know you because they, they, you know, in the military officer, they think I'm sipping Merlot and eating caviar, uh, you know, in between tactic sessions and whatever. They, they never think that, like, you know, an officer would have real problems and go through real hardship. So um, in summary. I'm a really sarcastic, positive, upbeat person. And I just, and everyone always kind of challenged me, like, dude, you should write a book and, and here's the result, like, you know, right there. So that's it. I absolutely love it. And I love that you share your story. So, so open, so vulnerably. Um, a lot of people will just sit back and they, they hide and they just let it consume them and everything you come out. Not only do you show the, the struggles, the challenges, and I love how you call them challenges because they weren't, I always say they're not problems, they're challenges if we let them make them stronger, if, they, if we let them make us stronger, which you have. When people see where you are now that you're successful, they see what you went through, they see that there's hope for themselves too. They see, he did it, you know, I should be able to do this. He's, a, he's an example that I can follow. And the one thing throughout your entire story, I mean, every little bit for all the way from a child to the military, you know, you share the story about how you applied five times for to, to be an officer, man, that, that's unbelievable. So many people quit after trying one time. They say, oh, it's not for me. I, I quit. Where, what do you think it was in your life that instilled in you that refusal to give up, that refusal to quit? Right. That's a great question. Um, Great question. My mother, it looking back, she was, she had suffered abuse herself, abuse from the men in her life. And through that whole thing, uh, one thing I write about there, and, and I feel bad for anyone that wants to read my book, because this is basically the audiobook version, but I had went to army ranger school and made it 10 days and didn't, it came home. Um, I won't I, Long, I don't even know. Maybe we'll, we'll save that for next time. But it's one of those things, like a finger pointing thing, like I should have made it. But my mom was there to meet me at the airport um, and give me that motherly love. And I just think from the times of being poor and sleeping with, like literally cuddling with my mom for body heat, me, my twin sister and her, it just instilled this fight in me. Um, and even like when I was diagnosed with cancer, she came to the hospital and, you know, it's kind of like grabbed me by the, you know, didn't really, but you know, it, she just had that fighting spirit. And I think she wouldn't tolerate anything else, but for me to continue to fight. And, you know, I write about it in the book, she passed away and I, it was weird. I, every time I went into a helicopter, went on a helo ride, I would always think my mom was like, losing her mind especially if i tell her hey we're doing some helo ops she'd get really upset and um i always remember like being in a helicopter and always thinking of her like oh man mom can see me now 
And then after she died, I, I tried to get to that place and I realized she was gone. Like it's, she had a major, major impact in my life and, and who I am. So that's, that's it. It's, it's my mother. That's awesome. That's, that's beautiful. I, just, I absolutely love that, man, that you, you know, you were able to take that example of her strength and just completely adopt that and implement that in your life. That, that's, that's awesome. So I'm going to move on to, you know, you talked a little bit when you in the beginning about how your transition from the military to uh, the civilian world was not, didn't go very well. So could you, could you talk about that a, a little more? What was, what do you think was the most difficult part and you, you know, what, what led to, to the challenges that you had? Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind, and I think the military does, I don't want to say the best they can, because it's not the best they can. The, at least when I left in 2012, the transition program consisted of sitting in a room, being told, file like crazy for VA benefits and borderline lie if you had to, to get, just get the money and get this, and that. And yeah, maybe you, you do some mock interviews and it really doesn't give credit whether it's a, a four-year Marine soldier, sailor, airman, or a 20-year guy like me. It just doesn't, it misses the mark. Um, you, there is so much that you need to know to be successful out here. And it's, it's literally like walking, <laughs> you know, I use that zoo example, like you're, you're walking into a whole different world. One thing I realize is like, your coworkers will, they will get tired of your military stories. You can see it in their eyes. We could sit there and tell cop stories and laugh and, and it's always going to be funny. We're going to, we could laugh about them for years and we have that in common. Um, but it's just, a, and it's not that they don't care. It's not that they don't sympathize. There's, there's all, but they just don't get it. And there's other things about being a civilian that you like, you don't really get right away <laughs> and maybe you got to learn the hard way. Like don't walk in the, the conference room and belt out a hoorah or something, you know, to like, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> um, and then honestly, the success you may or may not, well, how do I say this? I didn't meet success right away. I was, I chose to teach high school my first year out in a, in a uh, school district that was climbing up. And so you, I, you can imagine the income of a teacher. It's not that great across the country, you know, and I was getting kicked in the junk every day. And here I was Marine Corps captain commanded a company and bazillion dollars worth of equipment and whatnot. And now I'm, I'm having a kid, you know, do this. And, and I guess law enforcement is kind of the same way. Cause I remember pulling traffic stops and being told, you know, just do it, do whatever you got to do, or just write your ticket. I'm late or <laughs> now I'm going to take my time writing this ticket, you know, or whatever. Um, society's just changing. So I, I think I went a little off subject, but the whole, the, the military needs to do a better job if they haven't fixed it of transitioning folks. And I really think something along the lines of at least a three to four week program, help send guys out to comp have companies sponsor, uh, especially for retirees, they should sponsor internships or fellowships. I mean, I can't think of how well it would have done me if I would have went to a company and just walked around with somebody for a week to see what, what I was getting into. So given all of that, what was it that allowed you to find your success in the private sector? <laughs> it it kind of goes along with my story, just kind of like dumb luck and being in the right place and not quitting. 
I taught high school for a year. I love those kids. I coached a 20 and three baseball team. One of the kids is now pitching for the Texas Rangers. I'm so proud of those boys. Um, but I, I got, I got an opportunity and the next opportunity was at a sawmill, a local. And my best friend from the Marine Corps was like, yo, man, I, I thought you were down some dirt road with like a band mill. <laughs> I was like, no, it's like a 300 acre sawmill. And they hired me just because they knew I would show up on time. I would do the job. I would say, yes, sir. You know, and then an opportunity opened for maintenance. And, I, you know, then from there I go to another, then I got a, big company job and the rest is history. Anyway, the, the answer to that question is just getting, I don't, I was just lucky to get opportunities because I wasn't a main, I'm a, I'm in reliability maintenance engineering right now. I didn't do nothing to do with maintenance. I destroyed stuff. You know, I was an infantryman for 10 years and an MP on the field side. We, you know, we shot up a Buick in Iraq and to pieces, you know, like I didn't, I hated maintainers. I always thought they were like, howling at me about my cars being you know or humvees being broke so yeah I, I can't tell you how the hell i got here I, I really i think it's just hard work and attitude you know and back to the earlier question if you take what the military taught you and you take the good part you will be really successful the good parts but if you take the oorah yut yut into the boardroom they're gonna look at you like you're weird you know <laughs> Outside of not to walk into the boardroom and yell "ooh when you go in, we like to on the show. We like to focus a lot on transition, and that's you know whether it's transitioning to into a leadership position or transitioning out of law enforcement or in, you know, in your case the military into the the, the uh, private sector. What would be your number one piece of advice to someone that's coming out, they're retiring early, they're finish finishing up their service, yet they want to develop another career? What would your advice be to them? Do whatever you can. Take leave. Uh, stub your toe and get a leave of absence of medical. Like, I don't know. Do whatever you can to get out and experience things in the civilian world. Whether And I'll use the cop thing for an example. The best thing someone can do that wants to be a cop is go on a ride along. And multiple, maybe if, if they'll let you go on multiple, go on multiple ride alongs so you can see what it's like for somebody to tell you to essentially go to hell when you're knocking on their door or whatever the case may be. Um, and if you want to go in the business world, get, find a mentor. They're out there. They're, and even like the military officers and, and senior enlisted that made a successful transition would love most, most of them would love to mentor a, a young, younger troop or whatever, get out. So bottom line, do whatever you can find a mentor and get out there and have experiences. So when you hit the street, as we called it, you have a plan and, and you're not, cause me, I thought I was going to go into law enforcement. I thought I would be like prime picking like all these three letter agencies. I thought I'd be kicking down meth lab doors and dragging people out by their ears. Like it was crickets. I mean, I applied several places and nothing came to fruition. So. Yep, uh, I'm still <clears throat> thinking about King of Prussia and how we are from the same area. It just it blows my mind because I had no idea where you're from until I started doing the show research and digging around. I'm like, whoa, King of Prussia, Montgomery County. It's crazy because people are probably going to think we knew each other or, or some sort of – I had yeah. no idea that we grew up in the same county. Um, I'm a big believer of Kurt Lewin's uh, equation about behavior, meaning 
a behavior is a function of person of a person and their environment. So based on who that person is individually and then where they grew up with the environmental factors that dictates behavior later in life. So and it's apropos in law enforcement, but really all walks of life. If you want to see somebody struggling and why they're doing things, let's look back and figure out who they are, and where they've been. So for you and your experience growing up as a child and all the things you, you experienced, how do you think that manifested you later in life, probably in a negative way, and then what would you, what advice would you give to somebody that is maybe still in that darkness, had some dysfunctional childhood, was abused, never really got over it, has been in limbo their whole life? You know, what, what information or advice would you give that? That's a tough question. I, I look at the first part of your question. What it made me think of is I, and the shrink told me this too. Like I built an early on survival mechanism in my brain. And for me, it was just blunt force and ignorance push through, you know, <laughs> whether I'm, I'm lying in Lancaster General Hospital, my head's a hamburger, I'm in 11th grade, no, my mom, no one's visit and push through. Um, uh, any of the other things, I'm hungry, get money, push through. Um, so I think for me, it was just, and per your earlier comment, like, it, that's what was ingrained in me to, and it was, it could have very easily went the other way. A lot of people tell me like, man, how, how you a still alive and B, how didn't you not get addicted to like even more harder stuff? So I think, but the, the second part, I believe of your question about what would my advice be to somebody? I mean, you really, I think if you embrace who you are, whether that's a cop, uh, a retired Marine, former army soldier, former Navy sailor. There's, there's a part of that, that if you embrace it and you remember who you are, it can help pull yourself up. And I'm not saying go to Shoney's and get a free scrambled eggs and go, oh, I'm a veteran. I get a free meal. That that's not what being a veteran or former uh, law enforcement or anything is about. It's like, you can take what you were trained to do and almost like turn it around I write about it in my book. I was an infantryman for 10 years. Um, I know that I have limits of being cold, being hungry, being cold and wet, being cold, wet, hungry. And I've pushed myself to, and I, so I know if take, for example, a tornado, you know, levels my house today, I will draw on that infantry experience to lead my family. I will draw on the law enforcement experience to be a sheepdog. I mean, I notice stuff. I'll, I'll say things to my wife. I'll be like, that guy's got a gun. She'll be like, how did you, you can, cause you can see the handle bulging out of his shirt. And, and I think you, so harness who you are and what you became. And I think you can pick yourself, you know, you got to get in touch with that and you can pick yourself up. Uh, that's awesome. Um, you referenced in your book and I haven't read your book yet. So um, I'm going to read your book, but there's, picking Ryan's brain before. And you mentioned in your book, and we were catching up before about uh, alcohol use, alcohol use and using alcohol as a way to self-medicate a coping strategy, which so many of us do. I was in that situation in 2019 when I was depressed. I was using alcohol to self-medicate. What a lot of alcoholics or anybody really substance abuse related, uh, don't we don't think about because we're so selfish in that moment is how selfish that behavior is. So for you, have you know, did you notice when you're in that or looking back, how disruptive that was with your relationships? And if so, what did you do to make amends with those, those relationships? That's a, that's a great question. I feel like you're trying to get a tear out of me, here, but I'm uh, trying brother. I'm, I'm trying. not, I'm not going to buckle. Um, 
the yeah i mean there's definitely like i look back my son is 11 um he is very uh reclusive maybe is the word but he is smart and he's funny quick segue he programmed his number in my phone as spam risk and we went to florida for a week and he prank called me under the guise of spam risk for a week and drove me nuts like he's a smart kid but I look back, my son is not the upper Marion Viking football player. He's not the, the, the jock and all this other stuff that I, I thought I want. He doesn't even like to hunt. And I love to hunt and shoot. And I look at that. And I have some guilt sometimes at all those years, because the majority of his life, I would rather choose drinking on the back deck than going and throwing a ball with him or something. Now, end of the day, he, He's a, I want to emphasize because he watches this 20 years. I love my son. He is a phenomenal young man. He has a good heart. He's, he, he finds money at school and turns it in. Like that's the level of integrity he has, but I do feel some guilt. And, and I have, especially with my older daughters, they're 26 and about to be 21. And I felt like I missed some of their life because I chose whether it was, Hey, I'm going to sit on the deck and get knocked down a half bottle of makers or, uh, maybe do something more productive. And now that I'm sober, um, I, I just enjoy life so much better. Uh, my son and I, we play basketball, we play chess. Um, and it's just so much more pleasant for me. And, you know, I don't knock anyone that, that drinks. I mean, well, my wife still has a glass of wine. I, it doesn't bother me, but I knew for me, it was spiraling out of control and I couldn't, and I, cause I saw a video of myself. I'll never forget. And my daughter was actually in the garage when this video was taken and I was running around acting like a jackass. Like, and I'm looking at myself, I'm like, I'm 40 some years old. And I see this cell phone video myself and my daughter's there. So yeah, I mean, for me, quitting was about growing up and, and doing what I can to get that, that time back. You know, it's funny. I, in law enforcement, we are just so good about, uh, in military too, about self-medicating with alcohol or using alcohol because it's totally legal, right? Uh, you go to the bar and, and if somebody, you, you go with a buddy who's struggling with alcohol and he, he orders two drinks at once because he says, well, if, I, if I'm going to have to go back up and get another one, I might as well get him down. And you're watching him walk around and slam right. two drinks. Like that's not normal behavior. But we laugh it off because alcohol is alcohol where, you know, maybe marijuana, which some people view way more harshly when all the research shows it's less harmful for your body. So it's funny how alcohol, because it's socially accepted, are, I feel like we let people get away with more. But it's funny, I remember uh, getting off of day shift. It was We worked 12-hour shifts. It was Monday, Tuesday, so then you're off Thursday, Friday, or Wednesday, Thursday, and then you work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I remember it was Tuesday afternoon, we're getting off, night, uh, getting off day shifts, so then we're going to have off Wednesday, Thursday. So it was kind of like a weekend. And I remember we're sitting around and everyone's like, oh, what is everyone doing? And a couple guys are like, oh, I'm going home to get... And we all just laugh and think it's funny, but look at back and it's like, it's a Tuesday night. I get it's your weekend per se. Uh, but, but where did we get in this culture where we just, you know, there's no special event. There's nobody's wedding. That's different. A bachelor party. We're going to go home and we, we celebrate, Hey, I'm going to go get up. Like, I, I just remember thinking that comment stuck with me. And this is when I started researching about leaving law enforcement. I'm starting to heal and recover personally and mentally and emotionally. So I remember that comment really stuck in me because we just were good about glossing things over. So question for you is when you uh, are in the moment when you were pulling yourself out of that addiction and you, you had the childhood dysfunction, how did you stay positive? How did you stay resilient through all that? Cause you obviously are very positive and you have a resilient mindset. Yeah. Um, first of all, credit to my wife. 
uh, she's a, a rock of faith and strength. Um, she had actually just lost uh, her brother tragically and he was in his mid thirties. And actually it, it's kind of funny because um, in a way he was a trigger. I had to go to the scene. I'll just, I don't want to get into the details of this, but uh, the scene triggered me you know, where, and I, I look back and I'm like, maybe this, he, this happened. And this is, this God chose this, like I, nobody could have done anything about his passing, but maybe in a weird way, this was what happened to me. What that did to me was the Kickstarter. That's what led to the VA. That's what led to the simple phone call and the simple challenge to quit. Um, it, Alcohol drove everything in my life. If I'll give you an example, if if you guys were like, "Hey, you know, so and so's getting married," it's a, and I, I immediately perk up because you're like, "Open bar, baby." Oh, well, it's a dry wedding. You're like, "Oh shit, man. who wants to go to a dry wedding?" You know, um, things, events drove whether or not I wanted to participate in them or not. You know, whether it was a work event. Hey, we're all getting together at the racquetball club. It's like. Oh, who wants to go? Not that I'm making that up, right? Like, I don't, who the hell gets together at the racquetball club? But alcohol was so dominating in my life that it drove like social decisions and what I, what I wanted to go do. So I had to unwire that and decouple that. And now I, I've tested myself and my shrink was a little worried. <laughs> like, she's like, don't like, you know, it's not like I need to go to like a frat party or something like a total immersion, like an Eagle's tailgate, right. would be a bad place just because you're, if you're around that many drunks, um, don't know if you know, Ryan Eagles fans love to drink. Uh, so, but like, if you go to that, you're, it screams alcohol. So I have to take care to make sure that you know, I pick and choose what I participate in, you know? So I think I went all over there, Chad. I don't know. <laughs> This is the beauty of the show, brother. We are just, you know, wherever these questions take us, we go. We're not, uh, there's no production company behind us, you know, yelling at us. But um, last question I have for you, because you, you kind of touched on this earlier. And, and actually, I just came up with this question while you're talking, because I think it's so important. And, and I was just talking to somebody recently about this. And it's kind of the late, latest hot button topic for me. Men's mental health. Mm -hmm. Coming from the military, as you were, coming from law enforcement, whether we just had, whether it's indoctrinated in us or not, we are expected to portray ourselves as Superman with this badge on our chest, rifle in our hands. And we're not allowed to have a bad day or act like we're struggling, even though we're human beings first, we're always going to be people. And then everything we do after that is vacate vocation. And that's all second. Why do you think other than the common, uh, there's a stigma attached to it. Why do you think there's such a um, pushback still as the mental health game is changing? People are, more people are talking about it, advocating for it. Why do you still think, and I don't want to say the, the good old boys, I'm trying to think of the right term, but why do you still think there's that side that is still kind of laughs at it or mocks it? I think you, you nailed it. It's kind of like the cultural thing. Um, man, you know, I am man, hear me roar. <laughs> like, and I, I'll just keep using my framework, like, especially the Marine Corps. Oh my gosh. Like I would never, never would have thought I would be writing a book about this stuff, you know, having been an infantry sergeant, 
uh, instructor of the year, sort of like all these accolades I got in the military and awards and crap like that and commanding company commander. I never would have thought I'd write like my own memoir tell all about essentially about all my weaknesses and how faulted I am and how I put a gun barrel in my mouth, how I, you know, all this crap had just, and I, to your point, you just suppress it and push that crap down. And I think part of that answer is you're trained that way too, right? You, especially, and I'll keep using the Marine Corps example, you, you, Marine Corps wants Marines to be obedient to all orders. And if that order is, hey, I need you to go check that car for a car bomb. Yes, you don't want any lip. <laughs> go check that car for a car bomb. And, and it has a purpose, but um, yeah, that the mental health thing is, is challenging for men, but I think also as a society, we're doing better at getting rid of it. Look at what the NFL did. And a lot of these players that are like, yeah, I'm tapping, I'm tapping out for a couple weeks or whatever. Um, I work for like a fortune 15 company or whatever. It's a pretty big company or remain nameless. And they've done great things about helping people. Amazing things. Um, as a matter of fact, when my, um, brother-in-law passed away like I was kind of over offered help which is great so with all that being said though I think the last thing we have to guard against and I, this this is not related but we also have to retain you can have mental health struggles and retain your masculinity right like I know I am one of the I'm pretty good with with a pistol I, I would venture to say I can I can take on, like, I'm top 10% in terms of pistol marksmanship. I, I'm confident with weapons. On LinkedIn, it's my number one endorsed uh, thing. And I'm, like, trying to hide it because I don't want my company to see I'm good with weapons, right? Um, but you can still be vulnerable and walk or walk the earth as a, as a warrior, as a man, as a, a good husband, a good father, a good this, that, and the other. Um, I think it's just how you wear it. And for me... It was, I just said, screw it, man. Ultimate tell all. Here's all my dirty laundry and crap. And I, I wrestled, I'm going to tell you right now, I wrestled with publishing it because I was like, man, <laughs> some people are going to be like, oh, that's not the Sergeant Hampshire badass I remember. That's, that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, to summarize, Chad, it's definitely a thing. But what I would say, we have to, we have to take down some of the, the you know, if you if you need help, get help. But there's also a way to be, you can still be a warrior and, ha and have to get mental health help or take a pause. Um, and even if you're not military or law enforcement or fire, do something that like, makes you feel like a warrior, whether it's hunting or something. Like, I, I don't know. That's what I would say to somebody. Because uh, it's a friend of mine and we're, we're talking and it was yesterday, actually, and uh, it was on a group text. And. I made a post on LinkedIn, a post a complimentary of somebody. Uh, and the person that I made the, the post about was in this group text with a third party. So it was three of us. And uh, so we're joking back and forth. And the, the one guy that I didn't make the post about says, hey, uh, to the other guy on the group text, I would have said all the same things about Chad, you that Chad did. I just wouldn't have done it in such a you know non-masculine way. You know, I would have been, been, been cool or tough when I did it. And I just thought about that comment and, and I know he was half joking because we're friends, but I do feel like a lot, a lot of times people say things that are half joking, also half truth. And mm -hmm. we just have to get out of the mindset. Like 
that's great. You're a tough guy. You, you, you always flex your muscles. You can never say a nice thing to somebody because you might come off as weak or unkind. I, I get all that. I am completely comfortable in my skin to tell you I love you. I care about you. I'm proud of you. Come on, you can do it. And then I'll also be the first one in the stack to go in the door because that's, that's duty and that right. service. You can do both. And this whole mantra of just tough guy thing, it just, with men's mental health specifically, drives me crazy because uh, I experience it. Uh, and and um, yeah, we got to do a better job. We do a segment called Five Questions. Okay. Have you seen this segment before? Mm. Not like we're a big show or anything. Um, <laughs> all right. We like the show or this segment because we get to illustrate or, or highlight who you are. Not combat marine, not law enforcement, not author. Who is Chip? All right. So it's called Five Questions. Hopefully you can answer them as fast as you can. You ready okay. to do this? How, how long are my answers supposed to be? One, one-liners? Eh, as long as you want. There's no rules here. Yeah, as long as you want. Could be All right. 10 minutes if you want. All right. You like to build things. You like to fix things. You're really handy. What is the most challenging project you've ever worked on? Right now, the base, basically finishing my basement because I'm dealing with electrical, plumbing, HVAC, drywall, paint. Like, I bit off way more than I can chew. The good news is I got smart and I knew that I could, I started subcontracting stuff out when it became too much. So I would say this basement and when it's done, man, I'm going to send you some pictures because I'm setting up an AV system down here that will like rupture eardrums because I obviously can't hear that good. So basement. that's good. You got to you got to invite me over, man. Where do I live? Oh, you're in Virginia now, right? Southwest Virginia. Yeah, Southwest. Well, never mind. I might not. I'm not drop down, um, <laughs> all right. So we grew up in Monco, Montgomery County, PA. I got so many members of kid going to King of Pressure Mall and just hanging out in that area. Plymouth meeting. I had a bunch of friends and dated a girl in Plymouth meeting. What is your, and I know you had a childhood was rough for you, but what, what is a memory, a positive memory that sticks out from you hanging out in Monco or, or King of Fresh or somewhere in that area? Absolutely, 100% the food. I miss, uh, there's a there's a hoagie shop called Pudges in, oh, I think it's East Norton. Jeez, oh, I mean, the sandwiches oh. are like, and I mean, you know, growing up or kind of living in the South, you order a cheesesteak and they put mayo and lettuce, tomato on it, and you're just and the bread sucks. So the one thing I, I mean, literally, if I could get a helicopter right now and like fly up there, like be there tonight, I think I would just make my rounds, my my diabetes rounds, hitting all the pizza shops, steaks, pudges, and I would just like. Like there's a hot beef place in Lafayette Hill too that is amazing. So like again, I've been you can there. See uh, what's it? What's the name of it? Is it Tony's? The Old Ale House. Yeah, the Old Ale House. Yeah. Yep. yep. Many times. Been so there. so the good. food, man, and and I'm triggered now. Like I think my 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 so like I'm Pavlov's drilling dogs right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is a fun question. Take away income or money or, or where you could do it at. This is a fantasy question. If you could do any job in the world, any job at all, what job would it be? My dream job is to get a piece of land, uh, kind of a, we'll call it a wedding venue. Something that looks like a wedding venue that could be a wedding venue on the weekends to support the weekday mission of one of the ideas I had was leadership training for corporations. So make a little money there, but also philanthropic, um, anything, anything, whether it's a retreat for wounded warriors, I, my goal would be Monday through Friday, do what matters and Friday, Saturday, do weddings to pay for what matters. 
because I, and how did this come to me because i used to live in charlottesville and people are paying like ten thousand dollars for these things like when my daughter got married it was a sick amount of money for this shitty barn and it was beautiful well she's gonna i hope she'll watch this <laughs> it was great brooke i loved it um but it what you look at these places and you're like it's like a tree farm she's getting married at so that's what my dream is and i'm actually starting to take a few steps to get there so. Ooh, nice you got to keep us updated with that that will be awesome yep. all right the military i was army infantry your infantry then marine corps mp 20 years 20 years first of all mm-hmm. that's amazing so we all have some crazy stories ones that you can tell what crazy military story <laughs> sticks out to you oh boy um <laughs> So I'm going to think one of the, uh, and I'm going to give him credit. One of the people I write about in my book is my, was my last infantry platoon sergeant. Um, he was a staff sergeant then, staff sergeant uh, Tim Elliott. This guy is a, it was a beast of a leader. Um, and he wasn't kind of knife hand, you know, yeah, right, you know, barking. He just was a great leader. And he inspired and demanded us to be awesome. Uh, one time we were patrolling through the woods. We're coming up on a river crossing, and we we're going to do a single rope river crossing. And you got to get security out and everything. And we screwed it up. And he like comes up out of a bush, and he's a big guy, yelling and screaming. Jumps in the river, makes us all get in the river. So whereas one guy was supposed to get wet, now the whole squad's wet, and he's ripping us up and down, and. Um, makes us go back to it again and by the way all because the scout swimmer saw a water moccasin and he refused to swim across with the uh with the rope that's a key part of doing a rope bridge you got to swim across with the rope to tie off the rope so we can get the rope bridge set up so we he made us do this work this rope bridge two or three times and it based one of the last times i'm going over it he starts shaking the line and I'm hooked in and I'm like going up about 10 feet and then hitting the water and going like underwater and like coming up and like it turned into a complete shit show with LEAs being the circus master. And that was that's what it was like being in his platoon. We took his guidance and feedback like it was kind of like your like your grandfather was telling you it, like you let him down and we just would do anything for him. Um, so I, I have another LE story, I won't tell it, but uh, he was just a beast of a leader. And one of the, the things I write about him in the book was him and other leaders I had, especially in the infantry, helped me grow up into being a man um, and gave me that confidence that I kind of so sorely missed as a young boy. Funny, I, I still talk about that. 41 years old, I still talk about, in the, especially when I was a cop, the military leaders I had, uh, the, the mentors, the ones that I looked at. They were almost godlike, the ones that stick out to me, that you would do absolutely anything for. I mean, they could tell you to run up a hill that's just about to get blown up, and you're like, roger that. <laughs> so when you have that perspective, and I'm glad you brought that up, and then you get into some situations where you're working for people who don't lead like that, aren't uh, virtuous, and don't put their people first and all these things. It's, it, it, it's so mind blowing to get around and then people around you are like, what's the big deal? Why are you so mad? Cause you have that experience with the positive it really sticks out and highlights. Last question. Yeah. Best piece of advice you've ever gotten. Um, the best piece of advice I ever got, I read. It was in this book um, called The Passion of Command 
by Lieutenant Colonel B.P. McCoy, and you open the first page, and it was my mantra. It said, um, without genuine concern, this is useless. And basically, he was basically saying, if you don't give a shit, put my book down, stop reading. And his book at the time, I think it came out in 2003, was kind of like the handbook for how to fight in Iraq. It, he was sharing all these, like, it was awesome. And I, I wish I could find it. It's up here somewhere in my bookcase. Um, and that became my personal, like, mantra. I even sent him an email. Like, I'm a second lieutenant sending a, oh, sir, I really like your book. Um, but it, it was such a great mantra because think about it, guys. If you don't care about what you're doing, just stop. Don't do it. Don't do it half-assed either. And if you don't genuinely care about people, whatever you're doing is useless. If you don't genuinely care about people. And like going back to Elliot, he did, and General Renforth, and all these leaders I, I was fortunate to work under. Um, so that's what I tell my, you know, like my son. And that's how I intend to raise him. Like if you don't genuinely concern or genuinely give a shit enough to give it your all, then don't do it and definitely don't be a leader because you'll screw it up and people will hate you. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. Five questions, Chip Hemter. And that you. was, that was, uh, that was a, so much incredible stuff all throughout the show, Chip. But that last part right there, man, that was, that was awesome. I'm fired up. That was awesome. Absolutely love it. Yeah, I want to, you can't, I, I'm in front of my like book selection. I wish I could find it because I like, I bold underline it and it's just so true and something you were saying earlier Chad about leaders in the civilian world it part of my transition process was realizing that every boss I had was not going to be an LEA uh Renforth a this that a Hyman I had all these phenomenal to your point phenomenal leaders and you add in an aspect of going to war with them or sleeping in the cold with them or freezing your ass off with them it, it's like a whole new level because guess what my boss right now i haven't pulled ticks off his back i haven't like slept in the cold or, or gone to a domestic with him but i he's a he's a great leader he's been completely fair and honest with me and he's and but you you know what i mean so you, that's part of that transition piece too where you, you have to separate in your mind you're not working for uh this superhero gunnery sergeant or whatever and that that's something i struggle with too I think you you said something. It just I can't believe it took me all these years to figure it out that I, I definitely had too high of expectations for sure. Uh, and I set and all it's like all that's going to do is set me up for failure, which it did, because uh, I was holding people, trying to hold leaders that were in my sphere of influence, hold them to the high, even ones I liked, you know, lifting them up, encouraging them, setting and giving them stories about these amazing leaders I worked for. But I have to you know looking back at that wasn't that that wasn't going to be them and and um, although encouragement is good i think you say something that if i did made this mistake i'm sure other people are set reasonable expectations because you're only going to disappoint yourself before we wrap up um i, I like that you were looking up at your bookshelf because i always like to uh have a question i usually wrap we usually wrap up with it's you know i ask what the number one book recommendation is um, however, for you, Chip, I'm going to ask what your number two book recommendation is, because we know number one is going to be this book recommendation right here. <laughs> right here, number one, guys. Awesome um, book. So number two book recommendation, Chip. Oh, man. 
Um, I'm looking at like my books right now. Uh... All right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pick a couple. You know, the last book I read was Dave Grohl's memoir he just put out, Food oh, Fighters. Nice. And you know what? I'm just going to go with that. Why? Because it's current. It's on the shelves. And I'll tell you what, that man had did not have an easy life. And, and some of the things he said resonated with me. And I think he is just so down to earth. And I'm not like this big Foo Fighters fan. I, I look at them as kind of like the standard American rock band. I like some harder stuff. I like some lighter stuff. But they're, they're kind of like an American icon, right? They're not going away. They're going to continue to pack arenas. And they're just so cool and reading his memoir i was like man this guy gets it he gets he even gets people you know and it's like deep down inside dave Grohl, there's a, a marine corps officer trying to get out or a good gunnery sergeant trying to get out like i was just amazed about how he gets leadership and how he incorporates it in his band and his leadership as a father so um i'm gonna go with and i read it on the flight to beautiful Portland, Oregon, I had to take a couple weeks ago. I couldn't put it down, read it straight through. And that's a thick book for a Marine. Like awesome. a lot of, not a lot of pictures in there, guys. So <laughs> for me to, for me to go through that book like that on two flights, yeah, pick it up. That's awesome. I love it, man. Chip, it's been awesome time having you on the show, man. That was an absolutely phenomenal conversation and, you know, just, Sharing your story is gonna is gonna inspire so many so many other people to come out. Whether it's seeking some some help with their with their mental health, whether it's seeking help if they're using too much alcohol, and just realizing that our the stuff that we go through is gonna make us stronger and gonna help develop us into to who we're meant to become. So, I thank um, you so much for taking the time to come on to the show, man. And uh, it was awesome. I appreciate you guys having me here and i'm definitely subscribed to your podcast i, I love that one i just listened to uh, I, I believe it might have been your last one before me so uh let's keep in touch absolutely thank you chip appreciate it, buddy